to Ephesians 6, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You are in a war. It's not the secret you wanted to hear, but hey, whether you like it or not, you didn't sign up for it, you didn't have a choice, you have no say-so in the matter, you've been drafted for spiritual, a spiritual battle. Today, we're going to take a close look at the armor of God from Ephesians 6. For many of you, this might be a familiar passage, but I pray that for all of us, this is not one that we neglect. This is not one that we get too comfortable with. In context, everything leading up to chapter 6, Paul speaks uh, on chapters 1 through 5 about the Christian walk and walking worthy. And so he, he's talking about that for five chapters. And all of a sudden, in the middle of chapter 6, he just shifts gears and he starts talking about putting on the armor of God and that there's a spiritual battle. Out of nowhere, he talks about how we need to be able to stand and stand firm in our battle, take up our weapons of warfare and the armor of God. So here's why I believe Paul does this so suddenly. It's because there's a spiritual battle that's taking place in our lives. In fact, it's a war. Because in this world, there is darkness. And in that darkness, there's an enemy who is lurking. He's seeking to steal. He's seeking to kill and to destroy. And that enemy, he is very clever. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that you are immune to his tactics and that you can outwit the devil. Because he knows what he's doing. And he's going to stop at nothing to try to take you down and then take you out. Therefore, we must fight. So, Lord, I pray today that as we open your word, Lord, would you teach us something that only you can do? God, would you prepare us for battle? Would you help us to understand the elements that you've given us here, the armor that you've given us? Lord, I pray that we would take up that armor, that we'd be able to stand in the battle, that we'd be able to fight knowing that you're there with us. God, we ask you for your blessing as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So wiles here meaning craftiness, trickery, and deceit. Satan's purpose is to deceive. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. We read in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan challenges the word of God with Adam and Eve. He asks them, he says, did God really say? He questions it. He says, are you sure that this is truth? And he causes them to question it. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, the wiles of the devil caused man to reevaluate and reconsider what God had said to be true. Now here's how this works. When we re-examine God's word, then we begin to put our own human touch on it. We start to interpret it differently. We start to second guess it. We question its validity, and then we might value it less and less. And then, as if you can redefine truth, we start to redefine truth, especially in our culture. See, the only way to really combat these deceptions is to stay immersed in God's word. It's just like a counterfeit bill. The way to recognize a counterfeit is to study the real thing. And that's because the more you get to know the truth of God's word, 
then you'll begin to recognize the lies, the trickery, the deceit, the wiles of the devil. See, I want you to notice, though, the order that this challenge comes in. Paul says that we are to first be strong in the Lord, and then, he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, this order is important because you can never be successful in battle with God's armor if you're not first strong in the Lord. Did you know that, that the armor for a soldier at this time weighed anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds? That's a lot. So you can't just pick up 100 pounds of armor and expect to be able to use it successfully in battle if you're not first doing some strength training. You can lift weights and become strong. You can exercise daily and become strong. But none of these actions will ever make you strong in the Lord. Now, here's the secret to becoming strong in the Lord. You need to lift your Bible. And then he tells us why strength in the Lord is important. He says, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I've been helping my youngest son and coaching uh, the t-ball team over the past couple years. And over the past several seasons, we've been teaching them many things. To throw, to catch, to run, all these things. But one command keeps coming up. And I, and, and I still can't believe I'm still telling these kids to this day this one thing. Something that some of them are still struggling with. It's not hitting. It's not catching. It's not throwing. Believe it or not, almost every practice or game, I continually say, stop falling down. <laughs> you need to be able to stand. See, the players know that, but for some reason in their minds, they find it best to plop their entire body down on top of the ball as it's coming their way. For some odd reason, they think that's the best way to stop the ball. What do you think? Is that the best way? No. It might be the best way to ensure a black eye or a broken rib. But I'm constantly telling them to stand because they cannot run good defense against an attack if they're lying on the ground. They cannot do their best if they're not on their feet. And then when they finally do get the ball, guess what they got to do to make a play at first and get the player out? Now they've got to stand anyway. See, guys, in spiritual attacks, and baseball for that matter, your best position is always to stand. And here's why I believe Paul shifts gears so quickly and so abruptly, taking us into the subject of warfare. See, up until this point, he's been speaking about the Christian learning how to walk. Well, what does a Christian walk look like? It looks like a relationship with Jesus. Hey, if you want to learn how to walk, you can go back and read chapters 1 through 5, which I encourage you to do later on at home. But now we come to this word here. He says, finally, He's wrapping it all up. Hey, I've said all of these things so far. Finally, my brethren, having done all of this already, I want you to stand. Which is kind of odd. Because he's putting this in an order here, uh, emphasizing learning how to walk learning, before learning how to stand. But here's what I think. As a baby, you know, we teach our kids how to stand and then walk. So it's backwards. But I believe Paul is not speaking in the sense of learning how just to stand up. I think he's talking about the Christian who desires to stand firm. The person who desires to take a stance. Because the believer who stands firm is a believer who will not be knocked over in the fight. Now, if I asked you to come up here before me casually and... 
I just pushed you backwards. Well, that'd be pretty mean, I know. But you would topple over like a three-year-old trying to roller skate on ice for the first time. But if you came up here and you knew I was going to do it, you placed your feet in the position and you kind of staggered them and you got ready for it, you could brace it, you knew it was coming, you'd be ready for whatever opposition came your way. See, lying down will imply a sense of comfortability. We don't want to get comfortable. We want to be ready and prepared, taking a stance. And I think that's the point here. The devil is tricky. He's crafty. He's cunning. He's very deceitful. Never think that you're invincible to the schemes and the attacks of Satan. Because the moment you do, that is when you become most vulnerable. We need to learn to expect it, to recognize spiritual warfare. In fact, let me enlighten you in verse 12. Here's what Paul has to say about it. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So you think your biggest struggle is your finances? Your, your spouse, your kids, your parents. We often think our biggest problems are due to other people or some outward circumstances in our lives. But we would do well to recognize some of our greatest areas of weakness, some of the root things that, that are festering underneath that are root causes for some of these issues, and maybe start addressing them instead. Oh, the reason I keep getting in a fight with this person is because I've got a bad temper. Maybe I should address that. Maybe Satan's trying to attack me there. Now look, Paul was not, nor is he now, calling Christians everywhere to just rise up and start a war. He's letting us know we're already in a war. But it's not a physical war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Satan is warring for your soul, and he will do whatever it takes to get you to lose. See, he wants to take you as a prisoner of war, but not for the intel he just wants to see you tortured and utterly defeated. Let me give you an idea of what that looks like. See, spiritual attacks come in different forms, shapes, and sizes. There could be an attack on your friendships, maybe, that caused you to doubt your, your place among your friend groups. Maybe you've come in this morning, you've got some heavy baggage in your life, and you know, on your heart, and you just are really weighed down by some things. I don't know what those things are. You know what those things are. But I know for myself, I often don't recognize it when it happens, but all of a sudden I have to learn to recognize, you know what? I think this is Satan. This is Satan trying to take me down. We have to learn to recognize those things. The answer is not to run from your problems. If you run, your problems are going to follow you. The answer is not to retreat in warfare. There is no surrendering. Retreat equals defeat. See, we're not to retreat, but here, here's what James 4, 7 tells us to do. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. To resist, it means to stand against. This is a verse that we should have with great confidence on our hearts. The battle is scary. You're facing Satan, but God's word promises that if you stand and you resist the devil, the greatest enemy ever known to mankind, it says he will flee from you. You won't flee. He will flee. Therefore, resist the devil. Stand. Fight. In verse 13, 
Therefore, Paul says, here's what we do. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Guys, this is a daily call to put on God's armor, not just like a once and for all, okay, I put the armor on 20 years ago, I'm good. No, that's not what it's like. Here's the thing. Listen carefully, guys. We should feel the weight of God's armor on us every single day. Much like the weight of a burden, a heavy burden, the weight of God's armor should become so real to us that we never, ever take it for granted. We never get too comfortable with it. May we treat God's armor with sincerity and feel the weight of what we're embracing. We should know that we have it on and we should know the importance of it. And here's how we equip ourselves with God's armor. Look at verse 14. He says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. See, when Paul wrote this letter, he was chained to a Roman guard. So he spent a lot of time looking at what that Roman guard was wearing. And he started noticing, huh, you know, that piece of armor kind of reminds me of this and that. And wow, that served as a great purpose. And, and all of it was, was knit together and it, and it was just right. And the belt of truth is the first piece of armor that we are supposed to put on. Because think about what a belt does. It binds up everything that's loose. Your belt holds your pants up, right? Hey, you have loose pants and no belt. Well, guess what? People are going to see things about you they shouldn't have to see. <laughs> and if your pants are hanging down at your ankles, you're not going to be able to stand. Paul tells us here to make sure that we're putting on this belt, but it's not just any belt. It's a belt of truth. The belt that Paul would refer to here was not the type of belt that you and I wear today. This was a, a thick, heavy belt. It had leather and, and metal material. It had a piece that kind of hung down from it, from the waist, which housed the sword, in this case, the sword of the Spirit, rightfully so, because it linked truth to the Word of God. Now, why would that be necessary? In Proverbs 6, we learn of six things that the Lord hates, but seven, we're told, are an abomination to him. Proverbs 6, 19 reveals it's a false witness who speaks of lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. And isn't that the job description of Satan if he ever had one? God hates this. He is not pleased with anything other than truth. John 8 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And if that's true, think about what Satan is saying about you. He puts lies and deceptive thoughts into your mind. He tries to make us doubt our salvation. He tries to make us think that we're no good. He tries to make us think that we're too good. Satan is constantly throwing lies our way in an effort to confuse us and cripple us. But think about what Jesus says about himself. Jesus proclaimed that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. That's because Jesus wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know him. The truth will set us free. The truth will equip us and enable us and bind up everything that can prepare us for battle. We're to bind up every, bring every loose thought into captivity, as Peter told us. This is what the belt of truth does for us. Hey, remember, you're in a war. You must decide whose intel you're going to rely on in that battle. So having put on your belt of truth... Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
See, the idea here of being righteous is really the idea of being right before the Lord. It means you're living a life that's pleasing to God according to his ways and his standards, not according to your own eyes. Yet so many of us consider ourselves righteous, not because of what Christ has done, but because of what we have done. That's not being righteous. That's self-righteous. Yet the Bible says this, there is none righteous. No, not one. Self-righteousness only leads to legalism and condemnation. We would do very well to recall God's word where Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. To put on righteousness is to take off sin. And see, God knew righteousness by our own efforts wouldn't suffice. So instead, he decided to give us his own. And verse 15, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right, you can ask yourself, well, what does the gospel do for me in warfare? Well, it provides the proper footing that you need to be able to stand. The word preparation means a prepared foundation, while the word gospel means good news. So you can suffer a wound to your arm and still stand, but you suffer a wound to your feet, suffer a major wound in the foundation of your belief in Jesus, you're going to go down faster than you can imagine. It's a good idea to put shoes on, isn't it? Not even just in warfare, but really in everyday life. Why? Because shoes protect your feet. And it seems good to me that if you want to be able to stand, it might be important to have good shoes protecting those feet, which cause you to be able to stand. But not just with any shoes. You are to put on your gospel shoes. There's a song called Boogie Shoes by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Hey, when that song comes on, there is no way your feet don't start moving. That's because boogie shoes are meant to get your feet moving. I heard someone say once of Romans chapter 10, verse 15, when Paul says this, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I heard someone say that one translation records it as, How happy are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Happy. Now, in all fairness, I tried to find that translation. I couldn't. So I can't even verify that that's true. However, I love the thought of it. And it's actually good news for some of us here today. Because if you have ugly feet, <laughs> preach the gospel. Share Jesus with other people. Apparently sharing Jesus is as good as a free pedicure. When you equip yourself to share the gospel, your feet will want to get moving. But if you want to traverse the, tr the terrain of this world, you've got to have the proper shoes. And I hate to break it to you, boogie shoes won't do you any good. You need to have yourself a set of gospel shoes. Think about it this way. Think about what territory that you're traveling through. It's not your own. It's not really God's. Because we're told in John chapter 12, Satan is the ruler of this world. So as sojourners and for foreigners, we're, our feet need protecting. Your feet are going to get worn out. You're going to step on some spiritual landmines. You're going to develop calluses and walking on these hard and uneven paths. So the point is this. You don't need to be ignorant to the fact that as you walk through life, especially as a Christian, there will be traps. And they won't be there by accident. 
Satan is setting you up, especially if you're going to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need shoes that are equipped to handle the terrain. And without good tread, you're going to slip. You're going to fall, which means you're no longer standing. It's like wearing cleats in soccer or baseball or golf. You don't wear tennis shoes to walk in the soft sand at the beach. You don't wear sandals to hike up Stone Mountain. You wear shoes that are equipped for the occasion and for the terrain. First of all, for protection. But then second of all, your shoes are also meant to take you places. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So the gospel or the good news is that Jesus Christ offered eternal salvation to anyone and everyone who will call upon his name. That should never be kept as a secret. We need to always be ready to share the good news of Christ with everyone we encounter and to do so in peace. In verse 16, he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So our faith is represented here as a shield. In the book of Revelation, we're told that Satan is the accuser of brethren. He accuses them day and night before God. He never stops accusing us. Satan is the biggest accuser, accuser you will ever face, and they're full of lies, his accusations are. But thankfully, our faith can shield us and extinguish those accusations. Here's a really amazing thing. Think about this. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 that say this. As Christians, it says, we can glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, the ability to continue. And then perseverance will produce character, which character will produce hope. This is what that means. It means that the very things that are meant to discourage us and to destroy us can actually become tools and weapons for the battles that we face. Now, I want you to picture something with me real quick. Pretend right now that there are fiery darts coming at you from all sides. So if you were to hold up your shield as protection, you would move your shield around depending on where the darts are coming from. Your shield is not meant to just kind of stand there and be some static piece of equipment and all the darts are going to miraculously just hit that one spot. No, your faith, as we'll call it, is meant to be interactive. It's meant to be a defense for where it's needed most at any given moment because that's how the attacks will come. Satan is going to attack you from all sides, not just from the front, not just from where you're expecting it to be from. See, in these days, Paul spoke of taking up a shield, the shield that they thought of in their minds. It actually looked large and rectangular or ovalish. It was a, that kind of a shape of a shield that would protect the entire body. It wasn't kind of like the Captain America shield that we picture today, just that small thing. See, your shield of faith is your belief. It's a deep trust that you have in the one and only God. It's a faith that doesn't waver. It's a faith that doesn't doubt. It's a faith that will remain even in warfare, and it will protect you. And Satan is shooting off those fiery darts and arrows in your direction, sometimes from every direction, and you need to be able to stop those darts and arrows from penetrating your armor. I read something years ago that I thought was really, really awesome concerning the, the shield of faith. And these days, you didn't just pick up a shield and hope for the best. The shield was prepared for in advance in a very particular way. Here's how. It would be wrapped in leather 
And then it added a, a layer of protection that would come in handy, but then they would soak their shields in water so the leather would soak up all that water. Now think again of what's coming your way. It's not just arrows, but it's arrows that are on fire. So when those arrows sink into that water-soaked leather, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to be quenched and extinguished. Now, here's how this applies in your life this morning, to put things in perspective here. Have you ever been minding your own business, and then suddenly, you know, a random thought just pops into your head that maybe wasn't the best? Maybe it's happened during this Bible study. There you sit, all is going well, and, and suddenly that fight with your coworker that you had earlier this week pops back into your mind, and you think, that jerk. Whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> Boom, arrow. And then that traffic finally starts moving. You've been there for three lights, and you're going to make it. The light's green, and you're going. It's turning yellow, and you're going to go anyway. And then that truck cuts you off, and it stops you, and you have to wait there for a whole nother light. And we all know how you handled it then. <laughs> Boom, arrow. Or maybe you're scrolling on your phone, minding your business, and suddenly, whoop, where did I just see? Boom, arrow. But see, with that shield of unwavering faith that's been soaked in the living water of God's word, the darts and the arrows, they might keep coming, but they're going to be quickly quenched. See, guys, the answer is to be ready, to be prepared, because the attacks are coming, and they're coming from every direction. Whatever direction will leave you most vulnerable. One last thought on the shield of faith. At the beginning of verse 16, Paul says this. He says, above all. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, he's not saying that this is the greatest thing you can do. But here's what he is saying. In the line of duty, there were a large amount of fiery arrows that would come towards those who were on the front line. So all the front line had to do was just stick up their shields, but that left the problem of the arrows that would go above and beyond. And so the arrows that would be shot overhead and beyond, behind that, what is he saying to them? He's saying the next in line could take their shields and they could kind of put them up on top of them there. It would protect them from the front. They'd be protected from above, above all, he says, and from the sides and so on. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that we are not alone in our spiritual fight. And we're not meant to be alone. One of our best moves in spiritual attacks is to come together with other believers in the line of duty. Hey, when life gets hard, come to church. When you're having a bad day, don't forsake reading your Bible and seeking the Lord in prayer. When you're just not looking forward to the next day, don't sleep in on a Sunday morning and miss God's word and fellowship and worship with other believers. Don't forsake coming together with others who share your belief in Christ and then find refuge in fighting that fight together. Hey, look around the room right now. Put your eyes on someone else's eyes. I know you hate this. This is the, always an awkward thing, right? Just do it. Just look at other people, okay? This, there's strength in numbers, okay? All these shields right here are better than just the one you have. In verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. All right, in Paul's day, a soldier's helmet didn't look like the helmets of today's armies. They had some kind of plumage on top that signified, you know, what army they belonged to. See, it was obvious which army you belonged to just by looking at your helmet. 
And it should be obvious to the world around us exactly who we belong to when we take up that helmet of salvation, the signet of the acceptance of the salvation that's offered to us through Jesus. And what is a helmet good for? It protects the mind. It encompasses the logic. It embraces that area of reasoning. Our salvation is very essential. It's an essential part of our spiritual warfare because it reminds us of who we belong to, which we need that reminding from time to time, and it protects us from allowing the lies of the enemy into our head. See, without this helmet, false doctrines would continually infiltrate your mind. It's happening more and more today. It gets harder and harder to discern spiritual truth and spiritual deception without the helmet of salvation that God has given to you. See, this is a great form of spiritual attack, and Satan knows it. He likes to put those thoughts of doubt in our minds. He likes it when we worry about stuff, when we're living in fear. He likes it when we're comfortable. He likes it when we're doing nothing to further our faith. And finally, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Greek word for sword here is machaira, which is described as, get ready for it, small sword as distinguished from a large sword. I know that definition sounds funny, but hear me out. By very definition, this text tells us that the sword of the Spirit is more like a large knife rather than some giant sword. It's not like that sword in the stone, I'm worthy and I you know, can yield it and it weighs a lot you know, kind of thing that I would think of. But it's really meant for more personal use, more for hand-to-hand, close-to-the-body, hand-to-hand combat. And if there's a sword of the Spirit, it means that the Spirit has given us His sword, right? And then we're told the sword that we have is the very Word of God. See, notice all the armor up until this point, it's meant for defense. But now, suddenly, we have an offensive weapon. What kind of God would God be if he, did, if he expected us to fight without giving us a weapon? And what better weapon to take up than the Word of God? All right, everybody hold your swords in your hand. Right? Let me see them. Let me see them. All right, good. If you did this exercise correctly, you should be holding your Bible. Now, I know some of you are using your phone. That's okay. But I would definitely encourage you to get yourself a paper Bible, one that you can literally take up and hold in your hands. I know the word here for word is is the Greek word, which means spoken word. It's not just the word as in like the Bible as a whole here, but it's like an exact word given by the Spirit for an exact moment, an exact moment of time. It's the right word at the right time. It's not playing Bible roulette, just letting your Bible fall open to wherever it it opens to. It's not taking the top 10 most popular Bible verses and putting them on your mirror and, you know, looking at them every day. See, the Spirit gives a word for the situation that you're facing when you want to hear His voice. Well, how will you know it when you hear it? It will come by reading God's word. When you read God's word, you'll know God's word. See, here's the key to using your Bible as a weapon, though. You have to accept it for what it is, and you have to accept it for truth. You can't just read it occasionally, expect it to do something when you're cornered in battle. Any weapons expert will tell you, in order to use your weapon effectively in battle, you need to be proficient with it out of battle. 
You need to pick it up daily, put it to use, put some practice into it. You must get to know it. That's why I recommend the Bible with some pages that you can turn, with words you can highlight, with sidelines you can make notes in. I happen to have here my first Bible that I started reading when I got serious about the Lord. And I said, okay, I got my pen. I got my highlighter. I'm just going to start reading. And God, whatever's important, I'm just going to highlight it. I'm just going to mark it up. Like whatever, whatever. Well, (laughs) I reached a point where I said, okay, God, it's all important. It's important. See, your sword is there for you to fight. Because if you run, the arrows are going to get you from behind. And I don't know if you noticed, but what's the one area of your body that the armor doesn't cover? It's your back. Because you're not meant to run. We need to, therefore, stand and fight. And thankfully, God has given us everything that we need in order to do that. That's what makes it so special. This is literally God's armor. In Isaiah chapter 59, we're told this, the Lord put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation of his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. It's kind of an odd concept to think about, but God has the armor and then he's given it to us. He's sharing it with us. God is giving you his armor so that you will be able to stand against the devil. How amazing is that? It's interesting to think about. God doesn't become our personal soldier that stands in front of us and just guards us and keeps us safe. Isn't it interesting that God takes his armor and says, here, we are to put that armor on. He's given it to us. We're to put it on and put it to use. The battle is God's, but we are meant to fight. Here's another way of looking at the armor of God. I'm just going to put some verses up on the screen that kind of relate to this armor here. But in John chapter 14, we're told that Jesus is truth. In Romans 13, as we put on Jesus, he becomes our breastplate of righteousness. In Luke chapter 1, Jesus guides our feet in peace. In Hebrews 12 2, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is our shield. And Hebrews chapter 2, he is the captain of our salvation. And then in John chapter 1, we're told that he is the word made flesh. So in other words, the armor of God looks like Jesus. And every day, guess what we get to do? We get to put on Jesus. Like a child who imitates their father, we get to put on our daddy's clothes and act like him each and every day. I can tell you as a father, there's almost no greater joy and honor than to see one of my children imitate me when I'm doing good stuff. <laughs> my family and I, we like to play games on the floor. We just get down at night and we just, you know, play whatever game. And, and I'm getting a little older, just a little. And uh, so I have to grab a pillow, you know, and, and, and lay on it because my back starts hurting. You know, all those things that I heard older people tell me I'm starting to experience them now for some reason. So I get the pillow and I put it on the ground and I'm laying on it and, you know, we're playing games and all. Well, one day my youngest son, we're playing a game and he goes, wait, 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 wait. He stops the game and so we're kind of waiting to see what's happening. And he goes onto the couch and he grabs the pillow and he throws it down and he plops himself down and he goes, that's better. (laughs) So we said, well, what'd you do? He goes, 
Well, that's what daddy does. He saw what his daddy does. I don't even know if he knew why, but he decided to imitate it. Hey, you're about to leave the safety of this sanctuary and head back out into your battlefield. How are you going to fight? I'm going to pray for you today that it would be with the boldness of a saint who equips themselves with the armor of God, someone who puts on Jesus. And then finally, I believe there might just be a hidden gem in today's text. See, although the armor of God consists of the obvious items that you would expect to see on a soldier, Paul doesn't really stop there. As we wrap up the study today, look at our next verse, verse 18, which says this. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. See, guys, prayer is like the finishing touch to the armor. It's kind of like spritzing yourself with cologne or perfume before you leave the house. It completes your wardrobe. You're ready to go out now. Because if you wish to succeed in your walk with the Lord in this cruel and perverse world, you've got to take up God's armor. And then you need to bathe yourself in prayer. Think about it this way. As a soldier, you're not fighting nonstop, 24 hours a day, just constant. Like, there are some breaks, right? But how do you prepare yourself in between those moments of fighting? I think the answer is you pray. I got invited to play softball this summer. Not sure why they asked me. I haven't played ball in like 20 years, but I was playing third base, and some of the comments from the team were, oh, yeah, the balls are coming. Like, when they hit the ball, it's coming. It's going to be zipping. Like, watch out. As a matter of fact, if you don't think you can catch the ball, just get out of the way. Like, you're better off just letting the ball go past you than, you know, trying to defend yourself clumsily. And so, man, I was out of my element. I was like, oh, what's happening? Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was equipped. I was ready. I was thinking about strategy. Okay, if this person hits it, I'm going to throw it the second. No, and then this person hits, I'm going to throw it. Okay, and I'm thinking about all the things. And I got my shield. I got my glove. And I'm ready. And then a play would happen. And then here's what I found myself doing in between plays. God, please help me. <laughs> Lord, don't let my face get taken off. It was that moment of, hey, I'm not fighting all the time. There are moments of rest, but what are you doing in between? I'm reminded of John chapter 18 when Jesus takes his disciples into the garden. He gives them powerful instruction, and they had a hard time following it. They were tired. It was early morning hours overnight. They kept falling asleep. Their eyes were heavy. But Jesus told them, he goes, wake up, pray. He found him asleep and he says, wake up, be watchful and pray. Why? Lest you fall into temptation. The enemy is lurking. He's always watching. Hey, while you're busy praying, the enemy is busy praying. If you don't believe me, watch what happens next time you decide to let your guard down. He's waiting for that moment where you decide it's time for a break. And spiritually speaking, when you think it's time for a little catnap, you decide it's best to kind of loosen that belt of truth a little bit so that you can be relaxed. Boom. Gotcha. You think, ah, oh, this breastplate of righteousness sure is heavy. I'll just take it off just for a minute. Boom. We need to be watchful. We need to always be praying. I love to kind of keep a continual prayer all day long. 
I start, you know, praying in the morning, and then I get busy doing something, and then I'll come back and pray again later, and I'll get busy, and I'll come back, and it's like this continual thing, and I do say amen from time to time, but sometimes I like to not say amen, because I just kind of like to keep it just as this continual prayer, you know, that, that word amen is great, like it's, Lord, let it be so in my life, you're confirming what you're praying there, but some of our prayers might be better served with ending it with, be right back, Lord. Today, I'm asking that maybe we could take up this armor and put it on, the armor that God has gifted us with, and be watchful and bathing ourselves in prayer. Speaking of which, let's pray.